0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to The Worship Review, your favorite Christian music podcast. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist and former worship leader, and I'm joined
1: by Colin. I'm Colin. I'm also a former worship leader and now a history professor.
0: Funny how things change, isn't it, Colin?
1: Yes, it is. Thank goodness they do. (laughs) (laughs) So in
0: this series of the podcast, we're looking at older traditional hymns that have been redone in recent years or sometimes recent decades by Christian musicians— and today we're taking a look at a hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, originally written by Helen H. Lemmel, recently performed by Lauren Daigle with millions of YouTube hits.
2: Turn your
0: Lemmel, who wrote this song, was sort of a world traveler. So she was born in uh, England and traveled to the United States. She moved from Mississippi to Wisconsin to Seattle, and then she moved back to Europe on a concerting tour and music tour, and then finally returned to the West Coast. I did not know all of that. It's impressive, (laughs) especially considering the era. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Her father was was a missionary as well, a minister. So taking a look at Lauren Daigle's version of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Colin, what
1: or who is this song about? The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for now none live who remember it. In this song, the world is dying. It's falling apart and descending into ruin. Life is hard. There's bondage, and Christians suffer, and it makes this life a kind of darkness. But we can turn our eyes upon Jesus, and all of these sad things about the world, and mostly about our condition, I suppose, in this world, will grow dim, will sort of forget about them, or they'll be overshadowed, and we will see Christ and follow him into a kind of abundance, and also a release from bondage, a freedom, as it were. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the essence of the song.
0: Mm-hmm. It seems like light plays a very significant role in this yeah. in this hymn, because yeah. we begin in darkness, and then uh, it turns out it's not entirely dark, right? Because there's light there, to look at the Savior. Yes. Uh, And in in the light of his holy face, uh, a lot of things are alleviated Mm -hmm. in our lives. Okay, why don't we look at the first verse? Actually, she starts with the chorus. She starts with the refrain, yeah. Yeah, so why don't we begin with the chorus. Yeah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, in the light of his glory and grace.
1: Yeah, so as you said, this is a refrain, which and she chooses to start the song with this refrain, which makes sense. It's the most memorable part of the song. I mean, I've heard this song. I probably even led worship. I'm sure at some point in the distant past, I led this song in worship. I couldn't even remember any of the other (laughs) verses, but I know word for word this refrain. And it immediately calls upon the listeners of the song to perform an imperative action to do basically what Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2 say which is let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily besets us let us run with patience the race that is set before us fixing our eyes upon Jesus so in this verse it seems that initially our eyes are not on Jesus they're 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 just not—there's no explanation as to what they're on prior to this, but it just starts out immediately saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus, which kind of makes sense because the song—the message of the song is don't dwell on the horrible darkness, the things that are around you, the bondage and everything else. Just look at Christ. So it does make sense that there's no real description of what's going on. So yeah, our eyes aren't on Jesus— but then we look at him and there is a point in revelation 22:4 on the you know in the new heavens and the new earth where where we see his face. So it could it could be literal if it refers to revelation 22. Otherwise it's a kind of metaphorical thing and the thing that leads me the thing that makes this difficult is the song is situated in a context of being on this earth, so presumably, I guess, then it must be metaphorical in some way.
0: Yeah, that was my interpretation of it because a literal interpretation would mean uh, that we were looking upon the face of Christ, the human face of Christ. Would, um, and yet at the same time, I think of things like the the ironic blessing that the it's yeah. it's uh, it, uh, it's a blessing. That God would make His face shine upon us, yeah. Um, bless us, keep us, make His face shine upon us, and be gracious to us. And so, I wonder if there is room for something like this, where God's face shines on us. Uh, perhaps we're not looking Him straight in the eyes, and you know, take. I, I don't know. I I'm tr- I guess we're kind of walking a thin line here, but I think there's room for us to talk about God's face and it being sh- and it shining upon us uh, us even looking at it mm-hmm. um and yet also room for it to be holy and uh, unapproachable in a way so i think this i'm trying to walk a, a thin line just to explain it and i think this song is trying to walk a thin line too i did find it kind of curious that we begin in um we begin in oh oh we haven't got to the first verse yet but we'll see here, um, I found it interesting that the things of earth grow dim mm-hmm. by comparison yeah. with the light of Christ's uh, glory and grace, because in the verses, apparently we're walking in darkness already, yeah. too, so it's, it's, it's almost as if the, the things in the darkness around us get even dimmer yeah. by looking at Christ, so... Um, I'm just not sure what to make of the metaphor here. It's a little bit complicated.
1: I mean, I think in just in simple terms and what's powerful about it is it gives the idea that you can look at, like there's an intimacy there. You can look upon the face of Christ and it's wonderful and nothing else really matters. And that light is his glory and grace. And then obviously once you try to, The light and dark metaphors elsewhere do cause some strangeness with that, but maybe that's why you don't remember those other things, because you're so focused on the light-dark metaphor as it's used in that refrain that, you know, you just accept the other references as just kind of, okay, light and darkness again. I'm not saying that's coherent. Obviously, there's some coherence issues there, but you can see why probably most people listen to this song just don't don't think too deeply about the light-dark. The, the 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 total coherence in the whole song of mm-hmm. the light and dark metaphor.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I also want to say that it is it is good and biblical for us to fix our eyes upon Christ, as mm-hmm. you mentioned from the verse in Hebrews. And it is also true that the more focused we are on heavenly things, while still being responsible for the earthly things that God has given us dominion mm-hmm. over, um, the less, by comparison, the judgment of man and worldly power and worldly renown will matter to us. So I think there's something very true about the second half of this refrain, mm-hmm. um, taking it metaphorically.
2: Yeah. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled?
0: Okay, Colin, and then after the refrain, uh, Lauren Daigle goes to what was originally the first verse. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free.
1: Okay, yeah, so we've got a first verse, and we have a soul that is weary and troubled, or at least, you know, the question is rhetorical. The soul is weary and troubled. This is not really a question that, is open ended. Calling. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead.
0: ahead. I interrupted you. So. No, go ahead. Are you hurting and <laughs> <I know. laughs> broken within? So this, did this we reminded do that song? me. Yes, this reminded me very much of "Oh, come to the altar" because oh, yeah, that's we how we do opens. that song. Are you weary and broke? No, are you hurting and broken oh, within? Yeah. Um, this seems like it's exactly in the same vein. It's yeah. it approaches you with a rhetorical question and. You know, it, it's it's rhetorical not just because the answer is yes, I am, you know, sin sick and troubled, but also people don't generally ask if you're weary and troubled if you look like you're doing great, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <You know>. sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so the question obviously is meant to have a yes answer. And then the second question too, no light in the darkness you see. So there there's again the kind of darkness. And we don't quite know what it is yet. Yeah, is
0: this the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, or is it... Yeah,
1: is it, is it just an analogy for sin? Uh, I mean, it, it we do have this idea of weary and troubled. So I presume, because there are two questions, rhetorical questions that follow each other, I wonder if the this idea of the darkness is amplifying or just a restatement in a different way of weariness and trouble. So our problem then is not sin. It's fatigue of some kind hmm. and trouble. Like I don't see I don't see sin here. I just see that our problem is that we're weary and troubled and then there's some light somewhere.
0: Yeah. And apparently this is light that the person missed the first time, yeah. right? Because they said, <laughs> you know, rhetorically, you don't see any light in this darkness. Right. And then maybe they were looking in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, maybe Maybe. they had to look behind them. Yeah. There's some light, like crack in the door or something.
0: Maybe someone had their lamp under a bushel or something like that, (laughs) and they
1: lifted the bushel. Right. So, yeah, you get get some light, and that allows the person to see or have a look at the Savior, who is definitely Christ, I think. It's very clear, because we've already had in the refrain... Jesus mentioned by name, and then what the person gets for a look at the Savior. Well, they look at the Savior, and then are they also looking at life more abundant and free? Is that the way that we should take this construction? There's light for, there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free? Or is yep. it just saying there's light for a look, and then there is also a life that is more abundant and free?
0: Yeah, this is a good question because the and is ambiguous. It's either there's light and life or there's light for a look and life, right? I think it's the former. I think it's the former. I think there is this thing and then there is also that thing.
1: Okay, yeah, so I think so too. So what that means is, you know, we get a look at the Savior and then we also receive a life that has abundance, and abundance is like plenty, you know. So, I mean, it c- presumably is material abundance, but I guess it could be something else or too. Or spiritual abundance, yeah, spiritual yeah. abundance too. But I think
0: that this life that is abundant and free is an answer, and perhaps you're in- insinuating this, but I haven't said it yet. But I think it's an answer to the weary and troubled soul.
1: Yeah. So you you get this abundance to be a kind of uh, remedy to the weariness and troubledness, and then also a freedom. So it's not qualified what the freedom is. It's just a the weariness and the troubledness is some kind of bondage. The darkness is some kind of bondage. And then you need a savior to save you from that bondage. Mm-hmm. And the what you are saved to is abundance and freedom. That's the way that I read this verse.
0: Mm-hmm. It's curious to me that the life here is said to be more abundant and free, because it's not like the baseline we had before was very high. It's, we have a life that is weary and troubled, and they're offering them something better than that. And, you know, obviously, the Christian life is better than a life that is weary and troubled. Right. Um, But it it seems like a little bit of an understatement to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of this going back and forth as to how bad things really are. Like, is it dark, or is there a little bit of light? Um, mm-hmm. Is it weariness and troubledness, or is there actually some abundance and freedom already there, and you just get more of it?
0: Yeah. And another thing that's odd about this is that this this verse says there's light for a look at the Savior. And yes, that does recall, in my mind, Hebrews chapter 12. But the author of the Hebrews does not say, oh yeah, take a look at Jesus, no, he says, fix your eyes on him, right? Yeah. That means don't take a look away. Yeah. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah. And so that may be what this song is
1: hinting at, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah. Um, and maybe just as not saying it yeah. very well. Sure. I suppose. I mean, yeah, the, instead of saying life more abundant, the author could have said life that's abundant and free or something or like life that. Life
0: everlasting and that
1: would, even. Yeah. So that would have fixed this. But again, I I, I imagine that, People are just captivated in the imagery that they don't think about this. But, of course, that's where we come in, right? <laughs> we, we come in to actually read the words I just, and I just, think about them.
0: This <laughs> awful feeling, Colin, that we're those two old men Muppets that sit in the top of the theater.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, everyone is sitting down there enjoying a television – or a uh, – everyone is sitting in the theater enjoying yeah. a movie, and we're up there criticizing it the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's <That's> probably true. <laughs> Okay, and then we, we move to the second verse of this song. Through death into life everlasting, he passed, and we follow him there. O'er us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Okay. Here we hear the English accent of the author here. That's right.
1: We follow him there. <laughs> conquerors we are. Yes. So Christ died. We have that aspect of the gospel here, uh, and we have Christ passing into life everlasting, so the idea of a a resurrection, kind of? Yeah. I mean, certainly an afterlife for Christ. We don't necessarily have a bodily resurrection here. Oh,
0: you mean because it says he passed through death, that it doesn't mean he died? Is that what you're saying? Well, no,
1: it means that he died, but it doesn't necessarily say that he was raised again to actual bodily... Hmm. Corporeal life
0: Oh So you're saying If I may Reinterpret this Just to make it clearer You're saying He passed Into life everlasting Could be His soul Passed on to
1: Eternal life But his body Was not raised It's just missing a step Christ Died Then he was Bodily resurrected Mm -hmm. And then he ascended Mm -hmm. And What this describes is There's Death Death and then there's life into, then Christ passes into life everlasting. No resurrection there. There's no body, like, we, and we can follow him there. But I wonder if what this is saying here is that Christ is a kind of exemplar. So Christ died, and then we also die. And then because Christ died, or us, sin hath no more dominion. And this also makes us conquerors based on the song. So I wonder if there's something going on here that's similar to the Christus Victor Mm -hmm. idea of atonement. So it's not necessarily... Wait, Colin, who's Victor for our listeners? (laughs) My my buddy. He's my buddy, Victor. You know Victor. Oh yeah, he's a real winner, right. isn't he? <laughs> right, that's, oh, well done, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, Christus Victor. We've talked about this before on the podcast. This is the theory that Jesus Christ dies in order to defeat the powers of evil. And those powers of evil are many. They include sin, but they also include some other things as well. And this frees mankind from a kind of bondage. That they were in. And, you know, so the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't pay off God or something like that, right? He doesn't do the thing that penal substitution suggests that he did, which is like a tone for um, the debt of sin, like legal obligation that we owed God. But what he did is he defeated evil and sin, and this sets the human race free. And that does kind of tie in a little bit with some of the imagery of this song too. This idea of being in darkness and a kind of bondage and then the savior comes and we follow the savior and uh this and then sin doesn't have dominion over us. It doesn't have or another way to put that is lordship or right? the lordship of sin, the rule of sin is gone. And um you know we are now more than conquerors in that way. So In my view, this is basically saying that we're freed from the bondage of sin because Christ died. There's not a sense of the atonement, and we kind of follow him. So again, it's just kind of a, there's an example that Christ also sets at the same time. So if you, you know, I think a Christ is victor idea of atonement with also this idea of us following Christ into into death mm-hmm. as it were. Not necessarily death on a cross, obviously, but that we follow him into into the resurrection, as it were.
0: It's funny that you were I'm gonna say picky because you're being picky. You were picky about the lack of clarity of his bodily resurrection because I felt picky about the lack of clarity about his bodily death. Actually. Sure. Because I think that if you say someone passed through death, yeah. certainly the there's there's a there's a meaning of that. The semantics of this are a little bit complicated. And semantics means meanings there is one sense in which he passed through death implies he entered into death, you know, he died, and then he was raised again and, and came out of it, and that was him passing through it. But when we when we say someone passed through something, we're not always saying that they fully experienced it. Like, what if I said True. he passed through death unscathed? Well, then you would say, okay, so he never actually experienced yeah, death, right? right. So, passed through death, to me, seems like a little bit ambiguous about... Mm-hmm. That that part of the creed and of the Bible, where he did physically die, yeah. Um, and S- as a visual illustration of this, there's a there's a Disney movie
1: where. A, so we're we doing another another round of Christian song or, di- or no, Disney? no no
0: no, <laughs> I'm not going to compare the music because the done music Pocahontas, to this is very good. <laughs> we've done Frozen two, we've done a few Disney yeah. films. We're I guess good Americans in that yeah. way, but there's a Disney film where a character has to rescue someone. And, what? And you're just, kidding. Are they a princess? <laughs> and <laughs> enters into Hades uh-huh, and yeah. is, I believe enters even into the river Styx yeah. and starts kind of decaying as he goes, but his mission is to save this person. And um, I'm not gonna yeah, you're not- spoil the whole thing, but let me just say, if you enter into a deathly place and you come out still alive, you can say that you pass through death yeah. without actually dying yourself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, this stanza, though, the second half of it, again, I like better than the first half, uh, just because it seems to be so heavily influenced by Romans. And you've yeah. already mentioned um, the being more than conquerors, and it even, it even mentions earlier in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace, mm-hmm. right? So sin's dominion over us has been conquered by Christ. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is this, this comes in the middle of an admonition. I think often we think, you know, sin has no dominion over me. I'm free. But if you go back a couple of verses, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your me- right. yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So this is not saying sin doesn't have any control over me, I can do and be whatever I want now. it's saying sin has no power of you because God has raised you from death unto life. Sin has no dominion over you because you're no longer under law but under grace, so mm-hmm. therefore yeah. live a holy life, follow Christ, and obey his commands
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. um we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us that's romans eight thirty seven Nothing will separate us uh there and there's a nice uh, quotation there of psalm forty four twenty two and there's also some language right before that verse about various kinds of suffering and God protecting us and and even in romans eight twenty eight God working all things for the good. so that does line up a bit with the themes in this song that there are there are sufferings and troublings and weariness and other forms of other just challenges that we experience in life as Christians. And yet, God is working those things for our good, and we are more than conquerors. So we not only defeat them, um, but those things are like subjugated; they're brought under Christ. They're, um, you know, the the defeat is so total that even conquest can't fully explain it. Like, it's more than than outright conquest, which is already a very strong image. So, yeah. I mean, it's nice that there's the reference there to Romans 8 37.
2: His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe.
0: Finally, we come to the third verse of this song. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. So at this point, the song really takes a turn rhetorically and thematically from uh, commanding us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and giving thanks for the many reasons that we have to turn our eyes to him and is moving in more of an evangelistic direction. Yeah.
1: Although even here, I like the contextualization of evangelism in the promises of God. This is something that people miss when they look at the Great Commission sometimes. They only see the part that says, go into the world, right? But they miss the bookends of promises on each side of that. Uh, in, In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is an indicative. This is something about God. This is not a command. This is God. The first thing God says is not go out into the world. He says, I have been given all authority. Then there's the command in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. And then after that is a promise in verse 20. I Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. So That's the beautiful thing about the Great Commission, is it it does have the imperative, the command to do something, but it's encapsulated in these truths about Christ and his promise and who he is and his authority. And what I like about this verse is it starts off with, God's word is not going to fail you. It's not going to fail you, and again, there are a few ways you could think about this, but on the one hand, it's not going to fail you because of your belief in him, and that's going to sustain you. And that's what it says. He promised, believe in him and all will be well. But then there's also this imperative to go into the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Presumably, this is another way in which his word does not fail you. His word will accomplish what it is supposed to do when it is preached to the nations. So this is another really nice bit of truth.
0: I love the opening line of this. Mm-hmm. His word shall not fail you and then there's a dash in the lyrics that I have here. He promised. And so that that implies that the justification for the former assertion that his word will not fail is in the character yeah. of the person who promised. So if I say, "Oh, Colin, don't worry, um your friend will be here. Well, how do you know that? Oh, because he promised. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm actually making kind of a circular argument because I'm I'm saying he said it and therefore he will do it. Um but I'm relying on the strength of his character and the seriousness with which he makes promises to give you certainty that it will be accomplished.
1: And I think we have to reflect on some of the ideas in this verse in light of what was said prior. So the earth is dark, and it's dying and decaying, but all will be well if we believe his promises. So it's a nice way to say that, you know, we can fix our eyes on Jesus and trust him because we're still gonna be in this earth. Like, we're, we can look at Jesus, but we... 're we're, we're still here, mm-hmm. and so it's that, it's that trust and it's that future hope mm-hmm. that is sustaining us, which also is a biblical idea. And the means uh, this means that the dying world need not worry us, and we can tell others of Christ's perfect salvation. And again, another word for perfect is completed. So there's this idea of Christ's salvation being sufficient and, and complete as well, in addition to being perfect.
0: I really like the last line of this verse as well, because it uses the word perfect, his perfect salvation to tell. And this song has already made a reference to Hebrews chapter 12, mm-hmm. where we learn that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Mm-hmm. And as you know, calling him perfecter is also the accomplisher, yeah. right? That's There's kind of a double meaning of perfect in English.
1: Yeah, the finisher.
0: Yes, it can. perfect can mean spotless, or perfect can mean accomplished, And I wondered if this perfect salvation that we're telling, it's not meant to be the sense of spotless salvation, but actually accomplished salvation Mm. on behalf of people, that uh, the striving can cease because Mm. his salvation has already been accomplished on our behalf. Makes sense. Colin, what would you say in conclusion about this song?
1: So the version that Lauren Daigle sings and the original version by... Lemo seemed to be almost identical. I didn't see any differences. I didn't notice any omissions. Almost the same. Textually, you mean? Textually, the same. Oh yeah, there's some difference stylistically, but textually, almost identical. It is also, I think, worth going a a generation back in the authorship of this song. So uh, Lemo was herself taking from a poem that was written by a woman named Lilius Trotter. She was an artist and a, a missionary in the deserts of Africa, and wrote a poem from where uh, this song ended up coming from as an adaptation. So if I could read the one of the if I could read a portion of this poem, you can kind of see that. So here is a portion of Trotter's poem. Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus, and look and look at him, and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him, and the divine attrait, which she just means attraction, the divine attrait by which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. So that kind of clarifies a few things about, like, the metaphorical nature, for example. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus. So not your literal eyes, but your soul's vision. And look and look and look at him. So there's no mention of face in the original in the original. A strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. So, whereas the hymn says, the things of earth will go strangely dim. But this doesn't necessarily speak about the earth. It's just saying anything that's not Christ, basically. Uh, And the divine attraction by which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you. So God's, the attracting power of God to draw people unto himself will, will grab you somehow. So it's an interesting, it's interesting to see how a poem changes to a hymn and then obviously carries on in its life.
0: We'll see that in some future episodes
1: too. Yes, that is correct. In terms of the song itself, yeah, there's definitely some coherence issues in terms of the
0: Pronunciation. <laughs>
1: I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get there uh, if we comment on this performance in particular. In terms of the words, though, just the text, there are some, there's some lack of clarity and some just strangeness. There's some, you know, I'd like a lot more to be qualified or quantified in the song. The gospel is kind of there, but... I I don't know, there's not, there was nothing that I saw that was heretical or really erroneous, but just kind of incomplete, I suppose. So, meh, it's all right. Where did you, what are your concluding thoughts about it?
0: There are some sentiments in this song that are great, truly great, such as, being assured that his word won't fail because he promised yep. it. That is amazing. That yep. points us straight to the character of God mm-hmm. as one who is faithful yep. and true. And steadfast. Yes. And so I. there are some moments in this song that I think are worthy of fives. And there are some moments in this song—I'm sorry, I'm not trying to jump ahead yeah. to the rating. But there are some outstanding moments in this song. There are some moments that make you scratch your, head, scratch your chin a bit in— Confusion. There are some moments where you're going to question the implications of some things and perhaps fear people drawing erroneous conclusions if you Mm -hmm. sing it without clarifying it. But I think overall it's a fine song.
1: Okay.
0: Fine in, uh, let's see, what sense am I using this word? Not in the, that's a fine cup of tea sense, but fine in the I'm doing fine sense. It's
1: It's okay. You're assuming the audience is as persnickety about language as you are. (laughs) I'm sure they knew what you meant by fine.
0: Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But, you know, that's a fine silk gown or that's a fine, my fine china. It's not like, oh yeah, that's my mediocre china. You're right. They
1: might have thought that about what you said.
0: Okay, fine. (laughs) Fine, Colin, fine. (laughs) Colin, what would you give this song? Uh, If you were giving it a rating out of five arbitrary units of measure.
1: I would give it three out of five Mellotrons. Do you know what a Mellotron is? No. Mellotron is a kind of an early sampling instrument. It was invented in the 60s, and it was used by the Beatles. And it was then used by Led Zeppelin. So like anybody who has listened to like Rain Song by Led Zeppelin, it's it's those strings that um, are not real, but they just have this neat vintage quality to them. In this song, I don't know what makes the string sounds. I'm not convinced that it's actual strings, though. I think it's a sample of some kind. And it just sounds, the sample's very close to a Mellotron-sampled strings, which, you know, just pulls... I I just really love that sound. And so as I was listening to this song, I was just drawn into it a bit by those floating strings and then the, the nice low bass line. It just had a a real smoothness to it. Mm. So there's the mellotrons there. Do you think that the drum beat is synthetic? Because oh, yeah.
0: it sounded to me very Oh yeah. very canned. And and not yeah, necessarily yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying it sounded very much like it was
1: uh computer produced. Yeah, no, that's that definitely was a synthetic drum set. And and uh, recorded uh with a high amount of limiting so you got that real tight Mm-hmm. That a really tight And almost like staccato-y I don't know how to describe it But it almost felt like it was slightly behind almost And because it was cut off almost unnaturally mm. um, Which gave it that That strange groove Jumpiness Yeah, that jumpiness, I guess you could say, yeah Tyler, what, what did you rate it?
0: Yeah, I, I felt similarly about it So I, I actually also gave it a 3 out of 5 I give it a 3 out of 5 Disappearing S's <laughs>
1: Hey, wonderful.
0: <laughs> exactly. I, I noticed upon a first listen that she was dropping S's at the ends of words. And so we have Gloria, Grace, Jesus for Jesus, um, Jesus. So sometimes she keeps the S at the end, uh, but she moves her tongue toward mm-hmm. the S while still articulating the vowel. And so what you end up with is this really interesting diphthong mm-hmm. where she says, Jesus. Um, at one point, she even puts an N in the place of an S. To my ears, what it sounded like. So she says, "glorion Grace, instead of Glorious Grace. Mm. Oh, geez. She does what's in phonology and phonetics. It's called occlusivization, where you take a sound like z, sh, s, v, which are called fricatives or spirants, and you turn them into sounds that completely obstruct the airflow, like Mm -hmm. b, p, t, d, k, g. She does this with her thes. Okay. So she says... Instead of there's life, she says there's life. Instead of through death, she says through death.
2: Mm.
0: Um, And I wondered if she were adopting this for affect yeah, or if something else was to blame. And I looked up her background, and she comes from— very far southern mm-hmm. louisiana like mm-hmm. bayou louisiana mm-hmm. and i started looking into the structure of cajun english mm-hmm. and it turns out a lot of these things are there so wow um things that are are complex like si- strings of sounds often get simplified mm-hmm. thus become does often in this in this dialect um, s's drop um, but she also has some Americanisms in her pronunciations. Mm-hmm. So whereas in the English, British people would say um, train and truck, Americans say that first T as if it's a "ch." Yeah, they say train. Train and truck. Yeah. Um, so she does that too. So it was just like a really interesting mix for me where she had some Americanisms like the T-R thing, but then she had some very – things that sounded like either – Um. African American vernacular English, which mm-hmm. is a language variety spoken in the United States and Canada, or maybe Cajun English. I don't mm. know what it means, but that's just what it sounded like to me. Fascinating.
1: Did and, you pick you know, up on No, from- I definitely noticed it, but I, not with the, you know, I didn't have, I don't have the benefit <laughs> of these linguistic methodologies and approaches that you have. So it, it stuck out to me, but I've learned quite a bit from what you just said. Mm. Can I say one more thing and that is Nope. Thanks for listening. The- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will say one more thing. Um it is that there is another modern version of this song done by Sovereign Grace which is very good. Um they they which is pr- profoundly ironic. They rewrote a bunch of the verses and I- ironic because Sovereign Grace does not let people do this with their music, but um, they rewrote verses and really kind of shoved the gospel in a very clear way in those verses. They tried to keep some similarities. The The chorus is the same, but then you have, Turn your eyes to the hillside, where justice and mercy embraced. There the Son of God gave his life for us, and our measureless debt was erased. So they really right, cram in there penal substitutionary atonement. Turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ the lion awake. What a glorious dawn. Fear of death is gone, for we carry his life in our veins. Turn your eyes to the heavens. Our king will return for his own. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will shout all glory to Jesus alone. Now, obviously, we're not evaluating this song, so we don't have to say a bunch of it, but uh, I was—I thought this; these were some real improvements, real clarification. Um, of, of just what exactly is wrong, what Christ saves us from, what Christ saves us to, how he did it. Just think there's some more detail in there that the original is missing.
0: Hmm. It looks like they took the original chorus, they made it a verse, and then they inserted a chorus where they're addressing Christ directly. Yeah. Okay, so a... A kind of a lukewarm endorsement from each of us. There are some praiseworthy things here. There are some, as Colin mentioned, ways to improve upon it, uh, done by other artists. And a a very interesting performance of this
1: by Lauren Daigle. For sure. I mean, some really—I mean, it's pleasant to listen to. Her voice is just insanely good. It's just beautiful.
0: Oh, the thing I wanted to say. I wondered—I'm so sorry. I don't don't know why I said this. I wondered if she was letting— the Cajun English kind of out of a place where she had been holding it in for a while Mm. because all variety, or it's generally the case that a a speaker of a thick dialect or thick accent grows up bilingual. They know the dialect they speak with their family and friends, and then they know the dialect that's on television, the kind of standard. And so I wondered if she was just experiencing this really soulful gospel music and letting that, kind of free a bit more.
1: And there are also some social and kind of... Th- th- in the United States, for those of our listeners that aren't in the United States, and there are many that aren't in the United States. Hello, Nigeria. Yes, hello, Nigeria. Hello, Ghana. Hello, United Kingdom. Canada. Australia. New Zealand. Uh, so in the United States, the the any of the Southern accents are certainly viewed with some skepticism, I don't know what the right phrase would be. They certainly look down upon, by people that sound like, in comparison to the accent that, like, you and I have. And so I know people from the South often hide or minimize their accent. So who knows, maybe this was just an opportunity for her to really let out some of where she comes from.
0: Yeah, possibly. I listened to a couple of her interviews and... There were a few southernisms in them, mm-hmm. like I to ah. Mm-hmm. And there was vocal, there was creaky voice, which is yeah. common at the ends of sentences. And also in some for groups.
1: vocalists these days, right? They they really like to use the grapple. <laughs> yeah, sure. Turn your eyes, right?
0: Yes. And so I found it's in her speaking voice too, in the predictable places at the end yeah. of phrases.
1: The fry, they
0: call it the vocal yeah. fry. A lot of people call it. Vocal fry, because yep. it's like bacon in a pan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bacon in a Pan. We'll <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Worship Review. We uh, would invite you to check us out on Twitter and throw us some money at anchor.fm slash <laughs> <laughs> the, the worker review. The Workers
2: Review! I, yeah, yeah. Workers so, unite.
1: So you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Worship Review. We hope to catch you next week.